I'm excited to have the opportunity to share with you guys this morning. My name is Mark Freeman, and uh, I have the honor of serving as the youth and family pastor here at Grace. And uh, I couldn't help but think yesterday on what was probably the perfect spring day. Um, I couldn't help but notice that when the weather gets nice, the bikes come out. And... Um, and this is, a, this is a significant year in our family. I've got, we've got a bunch of girls, and uh, two of them are kindergartners, and with bike season at this age also comes the season of training wheels coming off, which is a significant accomplishment in, in your life as a, as a person, as a human being, right? The training wheels come off. And um, we've got, I've got very different girls. We, each of them have their own unique personalities. Eliana, our oldest, when, uh, when the training wheels came off for Ellie, I was in much better th- shape, thankfully, uh, because she was the one who, who needed me to run along beside her with my hand an inch from her back, you know, just being there, being present as she got used to what it looked like to, to toddle. And, and there would be occasions where I just could not go any longer and I'd be doing one of these. And she's like, Dad, are you back there? I'm like, yes, honey, right behind you. <sighs> Yeah, but Brielle and Kaya were very different. Our twins, who, who, uh, who are the kindergartners, very different. They jumped on the bikes as soon as the training wheels came off, and boom, they were gone. And, and it wasn't that Eliana couldn't do it, but there was a little bit of that nervousness, a little bit of that fear involved. But Brielle, she was, she was, she was ready. In fact, she, took her training, she, took, she forced me to take her training wheels off for her last year, um, and, uh, and, and off she went. And, and it's interesting, you know, you, you raise all your kids the same-ish, and yet they're different personalities. They learn different ways. And, and all of us are the same way. We all learn in different ways. When I was in college, um, I worked at a ski resort, and I gave, I gave lessons. I gave ski lessons. And um, one, of my, one, of my, one of my favorite ski lessons, I'll, I'll disguise the name of this in- individual to protect the innocent, so I'll just refer to her as my wife. Um, had never skied before, even though she lived here in upstate New York, and so she was interested in learning how to ski. So I was like, all right, I'll, I'll teach her how to ski. Now, I love watching little kids ski. Like, the best thing, like, even if you're not a skier, if you want to do something fun in the winter, go to a ski resort, hang near the lounge, and watch, like, three-year-olds ski. It's awesome. They're so little, right? They don't have any poles because they're like an inch from the ground. And they, they get that little perfect ski wedge and then they just shoot down the mountain and they're just like, shh, the whole way down the mountain. Well, that's how I taught, that's how we taught people to ski, whether they were little kids or older kids uh, or adults. You know, you teach them the wedge. You learn how to control yourself. You learn how to shift your weight so you can turn, things like that. Well, this young lady was not interested in learning step by step. She wanted to get from the top of the mountain to the bottom of the mountain. And the fastest way of doing that is point both your skis down the hill and go, let gravity take you off. And then if you need to stop, her brilliant plan was to just throw herself to the ground, <laughs> which is, now, which is a good way to stop <laughs> after a couple of feet, depending on your momentum. And I remember riding up the, the, the lift with her, and uh, I remember thinking, you, I, I'm, I'm like chastising her a little bit, like, you're going to kill yourself. Like, there's a process to this. You've got to trust the process. You make the little wedge with your skis, little pizza, right, and you, and you head down. She's like, no, I just want to get down the mountain. That's the fun part. I'll stop at the bottom eventually. I think 
there's lots of times in our lives where there's lots of different ways that we learn. And depending on our learning styles and depending on our personalities, depending on our preferences, we learn in different ways. And when it comes to uh, our spiritual life, the same is true. We learn in some different ways. And, and I think one of the best ways that we can learn as it relates to our spiritual faith is to watch those who are more experienced than us, to learn from those that are older in the faith. And uh, today, this morning, I want to talk about prayer. And when you think about prayer, I want you to think a little bit about who it was that taught you or how it was that you learned how to pray. Maybe it was listening to the prayers of your parents. Maybe it was listening to prayers of other people in the church. Maybe it was reading some prayers. Maybe you had a prayer book that you used. And as you look through those prayers and as you studied them, we be, you began to, to learn how to pray. The Bible is also a great resource for us in learning how to pray. There's, in fact, there's whole books dedicated to prayer. The Psalms are prayers and songs of worship, communicating with God, declaring to God how we feel and, and how we worship. Ephesians, half of the whole book of Ephesians is a prayer. We see Jesus praying and teaching his disciples how to pray throughout all of the gospels. And this morning, I want to take some time and focus on prayer. Prayer is a big deal for us because we were created for relationship. We were created to be in relationship with God, and if you're married or if you've had any healthy relationship, friendship, you know that communication is the key to a healthy relationship. The same thing is true in our relationship with God. In fact, we are given this perfect model of what we were created for, and when we take a look at God, we take a look at the Trinitarian God, three in one perfect in relationship, perfect in communication with one another, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We're modeled through Jesus' life as we observe his conversations with God and as we get a chance to hear what his prayers are, which leads us to this exciting truth and one that we will be exploring today. If you are in Christ, and if Christ is in you, then God hears you. If you are in relationship with Christ, if, if Christ dwells within you, then God hears you. You are heard by God. I am heard by God. We are heard by God. We're going to spend some time taking a look in Ephesians. And so if you want to open your Bible or an app or whatever it is that you check the Bible out, if you want to flip to Ephesians chapter 3. Uh, and as you're turning there, uh, Ephesians is written by the Apostle Paul in the year 62 AD, and he is a prisoner in Rome, so he's in jail, and he's writing to the church in Ephesus. He's not able to go there because he's in, he's in prison, and so he is writing to the church in Ephesus. And the book of uh, Ephesians is packed with the gospel. Everything that oozes out of those six chapters is just packed with the gospel. And the first three chapters of Ephesians centers on the word blessing, and specifically the blessings that we have because of our relationship with Jesus. I'm going to read through Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. I'll read them all through together, and then we're going to go back today, and we'll take a look at some specific verses as we go through and what it is that we can learn about prayer, about communication with God, and ultimately what we can learn about our identity. This is what it says in Ephesians chapter 3, starting with verse 14, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation. When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. 
I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. When Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him, your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to fully understand. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we could ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. If you'd be willing to bow your heads with me in prayer. Father, as we spend time understanding more fully the opportunity that we have to communicate with you through prayer, as, as we learn to understand better who we are in relationship with you and how it is that you have repaired and restored this broken relationship, I pray this morning that my words would be clear, that those in the room would understand more fully this amazing gift that we have and being able to speak to you. And as we learn more about prayer, I'm thankful and, and ask you would help us to better understand who we are, who you are, and who we are in relationship with you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. The Bible tells us that Jesus is our mediator, that he is the one that brings our prayers to God. Jesus sits at the right hand of God the Father. And we see at the end of the Gospels, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, it's actually better that I go. And, this is, and, and he's about to set, ascend up into heaven. And as he ascends, the Bible tells us he takes his seat at, right, at the right hand of God the Father and he sends us the Holy Spirit. And as we, as, as we study and as we understand the Bible, Jesus plays a very significant role. Certainly him dying on the cross played a significant role. But now, as he sits at the right hand of God the Father, his role is to intercede on our behalf. We pray by the Spirit that lives within us to the Son, Jesus. And Jesus is the one who then shares our prayers with God the Father. Since God the Holy Spirit dwells within us as followers of Jesus, our prayers are by the Spirit, through the Son, to the Father. He hears our spoken words, our unspoken thoughts, and our unclear longings. This one fact is amazing. God's heart is always inclined towards you. His face is always set towards you. His ears are open to you. The creator of the universe, the, the, our Father God, his heart is set towards you, inclined towards you. This explains why the Bible invites us to pray without ceasing about anything, at any time, anywhere. This morning, I'm going to use the word prayer as a way to share some thoughts this morning. If you notice in your bulletin, the initial plan was for Pastor Doug to share this morning, but um, since he is not well vocally, I'll be sharing. So if you do want to write some thoughts down this morning, you can use that space, you could use your phone, whatever is most comfortable for you, but I'll be using the word prayer as a way to identify each of the points of today's message. 
This is the first truth I want you to understand. P, prayer is personal. Prayer is personal. I don't want to dig up any bad memories or any PTSD from this winter, but if you recall correctly, it perhaps touched your family. There was this stomach bug that went around this summer. And with it comes the joy of all the things that is a stomach bug. And it was a fast but furious 48 hours of pain and other lovely things. And one of the things we like to do in our family is we like to share things. <laughs> um, sickness is not any different. And we are one of those families that is lo- large enough that sometimes a sickness will make a rotation more than once through our family. And one of the first to get sick was, uh, was our daughter, Kaya, the oldest of our two twins. And um, it, it wiped her out just totally wiped her out. It wiped her out uh, energy-wise. It messed up her poor tummy, messed up her poor what else is connected to her tummy. And, um, and then she lovingly passed it on to the rest of us in the family. And unfortunately, with her being the first one to get sick, she was not only the engine of the train, she also ended up becoming the caboose again. And she went through this second round, and you could... She remembered, because it wasn't that long before, she remembered what it was like, and there was almost this, like, fear and anxiety of, of being sick again, and, and I remember she came to me, and, and as she was sick, she laid in my lap, and she asked me to pray for her, and like any good father, I said, go ask your mother. <laughs> That's not true. She came to me and she asked me to pray for her because she knew that this relationship that she had with her father, she knew that she could ask, that she believed and honored and invited and loved and needed and welcomed and respected and trusted me for help. And so I laid my hand on her head and I prayed for her while also giving thanks to God for having the honor of being her father. And maybe also prayed a quick prayer that she wouldn't get me sick again. <laughs> prayer is deeply personal. Prayer is one of the most edifying and humbling activities that we can do. In prayer, we lay out our deepest desires, our fears, our emotions, our pain, our joys, our thanks, and more to the God of the universe. It is deeply personal because it requires trust. Prayer is personal. Secondly, prayer is relational. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14, Paul starts by saying, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father. The reason why my daughter felt comfortable coming and asking us for prayer is because she had relationship with us. She knew that she could trust that relationship. In, this, in the verses that immediately precede this passage in chapter 3, Paul reminds us that it's due to our faith in Jesus that makes us children of God, that allows us to boldly and confidently come to the Father. In the Gospel of John alone, Jesus refers to God as Father or as our Father 156 times. An understanding of God as Father is primary to prayer then we will naturally speak to him anytime about anything because we know that we are loved and cared for and safe 
with him. I am a child and he is my father. If you want to learn how to pray, don't focus on prayer. Watch a child with a loving mother or a loving father and see what their interaction looks like. Now, I understand this concept of God as father may be difficult for many of you. Perhaps your father was not the one that you could trust, the one that was loving, the one that you could go to with any of your problems. But I want you not to judge God by the standard of your earthly father. He is infinitely more loving and powerful, generous, patient, forgiving, caring, and encouraging. Which is what follows is that we would want to talk with him all the time about everything. When we understand our relationship to the Father, we know that nothing is out of bounds. All that is required is that we simply ask. Prayer is personal, prayer is relational, and thirdly, prayer is asking. Unlike God who is self-sufficient, lacking in nothing, we have needs. As we look in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16, it says, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. First, God the Holy Spirit is the means by which we are empowered by God, purchased for us through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. The same power that held him there to the cross, that same love that motivated him, the same power that rose his body from the dead, conquering and defeating sin and death, is the same power by the Holy Spirit that we have that dwells within us as the Spirit of God dwells within us. Living the Christian life requires power. To be like Jesus in truthfulness, in holiness, in love, wisdom, courage, humility, and perseverance. It requires the power of God moving in us and through us. The Christian life is not a life lived for God, but rather the life of God lived in us, through us, with us, and sometimes in spite of us. Let me say that again. The Christian life is not a life lived for God, but rather the life of God lived through us. The purpose of his empowering is seen in verse 17 when it says, Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. If we put our trust in Jesus, we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to look more like him. The more we become like Jesus, the deeper and deeper our roots find their anchor in God's love, which is where we draw our nourishment and where we draw our strength, in God's love. All we need to do is ask. The resources are there. The power is there. If we are rooted in his love, the key to unlocking God's power is prayer. God loves you. What do you think when you hear that? How does it make you feel? God loves you. There's a couple different ways in which we can respond to that statement. For some, it may be doubt. 
You may doubt the fact that God loves you. Maybe you take a look at your situation, your circumstances, you look at the pain that you find yourself in, you look at the struggle that you find yourself in, in this season or that season or any season, and you wonder, could God really love me? If he did, why is my life like this? Perhaps when you hear God loves you, it rings as disbelief. If God really knew my sin, if he knew how wicked my heart was, if he knew what the lean of my heart was, if he really fully understood what I've done and the, and the sin that I've committed and the things that I've allowed in my life, how could he possibly love me? Perhaps when you hear that statement, you disregard it. Maybe it seems too simple, it seems too cliche that God would love us. Why would he love us? There's no reason for him to love us. And so you simply disregard it. Or perhaps you dismiss it altogether. Perhaps the busyness of life or the routine of life, you don't really think about it much at all. Thinking about the love of God in your day-to-day routine and the plans for your lives. And if that is true, if any of those is true for you, then Paul is praying for you as well. This is what he says in verse 17 through 19. May you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to fully understand. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Paul's prayer is that we would yearn to truly know God's love, truly believe, deeply, passionately, experientially, and personally experience the love of Christ. Our fourth truth is that prayer is yearning. Prayer is yearning. Many Christians know God's love like some of you understand and or have taken driver's ed class but have never yet sat behind the wheel of a car. We have this information, we know the knowledge, but we have not yet experienced what does it mean to pull onto the on-ramp on 81 or 690 when you really have to be able to control that car. Maybe we've seen all the videos, you've watched your parents do it for years, but until you have held onto that wheel yourself, We have not fully experienced it. Paul wanted God's love to be set firmly in our minds like the foundation of a building, but he wanted more. Like a plant rooted deeply in nourishment so that we would be able to flourish. He wants you to know that God's love is wide enough to welcome anyone, anywhere. That there is no person, no people, no, no uh, person that has ever existed or ever will exist that exists outside of the scope of God's love for them. He wants you to understand that God's love is wide enough to stretch from the beginning of time to the end of eternity. And so there is no season in your life, no amount of time that you have spent away from God that his love did, does not encompass He wants you to understand that God's love is deep enough to reach down to the darkest, most painful, most selfish desires that we have. That there is no sinner that is too bad to outreach God's love. And he wants us to understand that God's love is high enough to transport us to the very presence of the Father. 
Many Christians know God's love intellectually, but we need to fully know God's love, not like we know the directions to our house, but in a way that dearly loved children know that when they hear their parents call their name, inviting them to run, smiling, laughing into the open arms of their parent, ready to catch them, ready to hold them, ready to kiss them in the forehead. There's a pretty popular notion as it relates to love that each of us are wired a different way for love and, and we primarily fall into one of or several of these five love languages, these five ways in which we receive love or that we give love. There's words of affirmation, quality time, receiving gifts, acts of service, and physical touch. My daughter Brielle, her love language is physical touch. For a dad, that is so scary. <laughs> I'm like, sweetie, acts of service, <laughs> gift giving even, please not physical touch. So I try to fill that little physical touch love bucket as much as I can so that it's not felt, filled anywhere else. And, and Brielle is one of those little girls. In fact, all of our girls are, are, we can't be sitting in a room without them on us, touching us, holding on to us, swinging off of us. <laughs> We can't walk anywhere without them attached to my leg, under my leg, around my leg, hand in hand. I love wrestling with my girls, not just so that they'll be able to pin a boy if there's an issue in their life, <laughs> but because we love being connected with one another. We love wrestling one another. We love being close and, and, and sharing life together. And Brielle will do this thing where she will grasp a hold of me and she will cling on for dear life and she will try to hold on regardless of what I do, almost like a little bucking bronco. I'll see if I can shake her off of me and she'll just hold on as tight as she can because she wants to hold on to her dad. She doesn't want to let go. Paul prayed that we would grasp on to God's love, that we would long for it, that we would yearn for it, that we would grab a hold and not let go. Too many Christians pit knowledge against experience. They put their head versus their hearts. And sometimes our logic and sometimes our reasoning will get in the way of the experiences that we have and sometimes there is conflict. But I want you to understand the truth is both are needed to grasp God's love. The love of God is what happens when the truth in our head captivates the affections of our hearts, which spurs us to grasp the love of God in our lives. Let me say that again. The love of God is what happens when the truth in our head captivates the affections of our hearts, which spurs us to grasp the love of God in our lives. As the love of God increases and captivates our hearts, we grasp onto his love. We're changed and we become increasingly mature in Christ because our, our affections determine our actions. The transforming of our affections results in the transforming of our actions. For so long, even with good intentions, Teachers and churches and parents have, have, have told us, and, and, and maybe not intentionally, but the implication is there that if we clean ourselves up, 
if we try a little harder, if we get things organized in our life, if we get everything arranged the way that it, we need to, if we get rid of these bad things in our life, then, then we will be fully loved by God. But the reality is, that is just not the gospel. The gospel does not say, clean yourself up and then God will invite you in. The gospel says, God has invited you in so that he can clean your heart. As we are rooted and grounded in God's love, we begin to love what God loves. And subsequently, we begin to hate what God hates, specifically sin. It is in God relationship with God. It is in that loving relationship as God has opportunity to transform our hearts that then our actions begin to be transformed. And it requires the power of God which is found being rooted in the love of God. The truth is there is one answer to all of our problems, a fuller understanding of God's love, which means a fuller understanding of what Jesus has done for us. So in prayer, we yearn for God's love. We crave to know him better. We grasp and we cling on to him. And as it says in verse 19, that is made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Prayer is yearning. Here's the last two. Prayer is expecting. Prayer is expecting. I'm a big Amazon Prime fan. I think we, pray, I think we pay for our Amazon Prime membership like in the first month because of the free two-day shipping. There's something amazing about getting that little alert on your phone as you're tracking a package from across the country. You're like, ooh, my package is in Kentucky. Exciting. Right? Oh, it just hit East Syracuse. Even more exciting, right? And then you see that delivery notice pop up on your phone and you're like, oh, I can't wait. When I get home, there it is. And I get home and it's already been opened for me by my kids, which is amazing. <laughs> there is this expectation in our lives when something good is going to happen, when something good is coming. When you listen to how others pray, when you listen to how you pray, you can hear what the expectation is of who God is as their father. What their expectation is for how God will show up in their lives and will he really show up in a big way. Ephesians 3 verse 20 says this, now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. If other people listen to your prayer life, would they hear you praying the kind of prayers that could only be answered if God really showed up in a big way? Do you truly believe deep down inside in your gut that God can do more than you ask or imagine? How do your expectations season your prayers and shape your faith? In light of God's power at work in us, we should pray expecting to be heard by God. I think a lot of times we kind of let God off the hook a little bit. And so we'll pray this prayer, but we don't really know if God wants to answer that prayer. And so we will almost like callously be like, but 
your will be done. And, and I understand, listen, ultimately, yes, God's will be done, but if we add that and we tag that on to the end of our prayer almost as an escape route for Jesus, then we misunderstand the expectation of our Father hearing us. Yes, ultimately, God's will be done, but when we pray the beginning of that prayer, do we still have the same expectation that God hears us, that he loves us enough that he would be moved on our behalf? It's not demanding that we be heard, but it's trusting that he hears us. How would your prayer life change if your expectations were that each time you prayed, you had the full attention and affection of the Heavenly Father? Can you imagine that when we bring our, if when we bring our prayers to him, we know with expectation in our hearts every time I talk to God that he is listening that he is responding on my behalf, and he has the opportunity either to move in my life or to move my heart in response to my prayer. You can learn a lot by people when you listen to them pray. You learn who or what is on their hearts. You learn what they care about and what their passions are in life. You can also learn about, a lot about yourself when you listen to how you pray as well. In your prayers, your heart your motive, your desires, your false gods, your functional saviors are all exposed in your prayers. It's one of the reasons why it's, it, it sometimes can be a good practice for you to write down your prayers. Sometimes we don't remember them or we don't think about them, but as we go back, we can begin to see where the motivations of our heart lie. And if there is something that is out of whack, it can help us sometimes get back on track. Our prayers are so revealing. Here's the last truth. Prayers are revealing. What does your prayer reveal about you? It even reveals to us our purpose. Paul's prayer begins and ends with the glory of God. We exist to glorify God. The glory of God is a persistent theme throughout the Bible. In fact, it shows up 275 times. When people encounter God's glory, they respond in a number of different ways. Sometimes it's fear, awe, wonder, dread, respect, conviction, repentance, and humility. The glory of God is no small thing. God is big and we are small. God is good and we are not so much. We exist for God. God does not exist for us. Yet he hears us and he loves us, which is even better. We exist to glorify God. The church exists to glorify God. We are made to cheer and sing and brag about our God, to reflect his glory by living like him, to show his love to the world. That's why our vision here at Grace Assembly is that locally to globally, we will pursue every heart with the love of Jesus so that we can reflect his glory. But all too often, God, our, our God-given passion to worship is misdirected towards idolatry and the worship of created things. 
We begin to worship other things other than God in an attempt to rescue ourselves, in an attempt to edify ourselves. But to God alone should our glory be given. When God's glory is the true north on the compass of our lives, everything, including our prayer life, is God-directed and God-centered. In the book, The City of God, Augustine rightly determined that everything flows from this issue of glory. Once the issue of glory is settled, that is where glory is going and to whom and to what deserves glory, then everything else is decided. Once we determine in our souls that God's glory is our goal, we stop taking the path of least resistance and we start taking the path of most glory to God. God does not need us, but he wants us, which is far better. He welcomes us into relationship to know his glorious joy and to make it known to others. This means enjoying him is our greatest treasure, knowing beyond knowing that he loves us, being captivated by and grasping his love, living in a maturing relationship with him, repenting of our sin, growing to glorify him more and more by grace and joy, sharing his fame with others, humbly serving those in need as he has served us, singing his love and praying for his church. The life lived to reveal the glory of God the Father results in our joy and the good of others as we become more like Jesus by the power of the Spirit. The Father is waiting and you will be heard. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Father, we thank you for this reminder this morning that you are a loving Father that is waiting to love on his children. And for those this morning, Lord God, that are still in a journey to figure out who you are and, and can you be trusted and, and, and are you reliable and is your love true and real, I pray that even now your spirit would bring joy and peace into the lives of those who have yet to make a decision to follow you, that they would begin to taste and see your goodness. I pray that you would bring peace into their life, that you would turn their hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit towards yourself. Father, for those of us who have yet to be saved or those of us who have been saved for decades, Lord God, I pray that we would grow in our understanding of your love, that we would grow in better understanding and thankfulness for the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, who did not just come and live a perfect life as an example for us, but came and lived a perfect life to be a substitute for us. Help us to understand the amazing love that drove him to the cross, the amazing love and sacrifice that he would be willing to lay down his life to restore what was broken, and that now we have this amazing privilege that we can talk to you, that we can share our heart with you, that as our Savior Jesus Christ sits at your right hand, 
as the spirit that you have delivered and given us lifts our prayers to Christ, he mediates on our behalf. We are so thankful and so grateful. Father, help us not to underestimate the power and your presence that is found in prayer. Allow our hearts and the roots in our heart to grow deep into your love. That we would know how wide and how long and how high and how deep your love is for us, Lord God. We thank you that you love us. Allow our hearts to have an expectation that you will show up every time we pray, that you are always ready to listen, that we are heard by you. And even in the moments of our life where we feel like you're distant, where we feel like you're not answering, Lord God, help us to find peace in that place. Knowing that you are good, that you love us, you are for us, not against us. And that even in the darkest seasons of our life, we can trust in you because you are our good Father. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for forgiveness that is found in Christ alone. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 